0: E.T.
1: Phone Home. E.T. Phone Home. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, a show where we learn something new every week, part of the WCBE podcast experience and an Ama Marfo production. My name is Michael Kent. A quick note before we begin, I would love for you, the listener, to be a major part of this podcast. There are lots of ways you can do that, including rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or joining the Patreon, but the way that would mean a lot to me is if you contribute a show topic. If you've got a story from history or just a weird fact that sounds made up, but it's totally true, send it in. You can do that right on the homepage. It's true.com I like to think of this podcast as a community of listeners, where these stories are shared, just like if we were all sitting around a kitchen table telling stories. So send me yours, and I'll feature it on a future episode. Now, this week's topic comes to us from Luke, and it's about video games. Hi, Michael. This is Luke. I was wondering if you had heard the story of when Atari made what many call the worst video game in history in 1983, and then the urban legend that followed the whole debacle. It's a cool story. Thanks. Yeah, this is an interesting study in bringing a product to market too quickly. I spent the week looking into this, and part of it may be more urban legend than truth but let's get into it Drew Robarge is a museum specialist at the National Museum of American History around seven years ago he placed an item into the archives of the museum with a storied legacy he'd been searching for this one forever it was sort of a white whale item a game cartridge that was connected to this lore of the worst video game ever created The cartridge came in the condition he was expecting. Dirty, battered, half-crushed, and in an envelope labeled City of Alamogordo. In 1982, the video game industry had ballooned into a multi-billion dollar market. It was the first boom of the market and coincided with the second generation console era, the time between 1976 and 1992, when gaming consoles with interchangeable cartridges rose to popularity. Consoles like Fairchild Channel F, ColecoVision, Odyssey 2, TeleVision, and the most popular of them all, the Atari 2600. In 1978, Steven Spielberg was toying with the idea of a sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Rather than continuing the story, he ended up dreaming this idea of an alien invasion movie told from the point of view of the alien, this morphed into a film idea he called Night Skies, in which aliens invade and terrorize a family. But the whole reason Spielberg was interested in doing alien films was because in his childhood, he had an imaginary friend that was an alien. It helped him deal with his loneliness and pain of his parents' divorce. After working on Raiders of the Lost Ark, this feeling of loneliness came to him once again as an adult. The result, was that the Night Skies alien morphed into more of a friendly alien buddy movie. The whole concept, which was called A Boy's Life and then later E.T. and Me, was a subplot of Night Skies in which the one alien who was friendly befriended an autistic child. It was written by Spielberg's scriptwriter Melissa Matheson in just eight weeks. When the film was released on June 11th of 1982, it shot to the top of the box office in its first weekend. In its second weekend, it broke the all-time record for second weekend box office. By the next year, it became the highest grossing film of all time, surpassing even Star Wars. After the June 11th release of the film, Steve Ross, Atari's CEO, immediately approached Spielberg for the rights to create a game from the story. They needed to act quick to cash in on the popularity of the film and After paying somewhere between $20 and $25 million for the rights, the order was given to Atari video game developer Howard Scott Warshaw to get to work on the game. It was now July 27th, and Ross told Warshaw he wanted the game to be finished by September 1st. Now, this was way shorter than the amount of time it normally took Warshaw to develop a video game. In fact, his entire year was planned out with developments and releases and this would have to squeeze into the existing production schedule Warshaw had created yar's revenge earlier that year and it was an instant classic one of the best-selling games for the atari 2600 at the time a normal game design schedule was six to eight months to complete a game for et Warshaw was given just five weeks and he completed that task by september the video game had been put into production It was a game where E.T. would have to travel around and collect the necessary parts of a telephone in order to phone home, all while avoiding government agents and scientists. The game was advertised in time for Christmas sales in 1982. Only from Atari, made especially for systems from Atari.
0: The video game that lets you help E.T. get home,
1: just in time for Christmas. Happy Holidays from Atari. The game initially sold pretty well, piggybacking on the success of the movie. It was initially reported that it sold 1.5 million copies, and while the number sold was a lot, they had printed 4 million game cartridges. Immediately, game retailers knew there was a problem when they started receiving returns from unsatisfied customers who hated the game. The complaints were that it was clunky, confusing, and the main character, E.T., was constantly falling into pits that were impossible to get out of. Electronic Games Magazine gave it a scathing review, saying it, quote, "...looks like it was turned out in about five weeks. The graphics are crude, the play mechanics are unlikely to captivate any but the youngest arcaders, and the entire project seems ill-conceived. Save your time and money, and if E.T. does call home, please don't tell him about this." End quote. 3.5 million out of the 4 million cartridges were returned to Atari storage facilities. Atari had initially received huge orders from retailers, but they soon began getting order cancellation requests. This was something that had not been seen since the recent video game boom began. Despite a decent sales performance for Christmas of 1982, the game was a financial failure for Atari. E.T. the extraterrestrial for Atari 2600 has been universally called the worst video game of all time by video game critics. It's earned that title and other horrible reviews in Electronic Gaming Monthly and FHM Magazine, Classic Gaming and IGN, even today. But there's more to this story. The claim that this one game burst the 1980s video game bubble and The Legend of the Landfill. We'll get to those after a word from some of the folks who make this podcast possible. I'm not a guy who wears blazers very often, but I've been wearing my new Scotty Vest sport coat like every day. It has 19 pockets. It makes me feel like 007 when I'm wearing it. The fit is great, the material is durable, and that's not even their most popular item. They have great, useful jackets for traveling, for hiking, and they're all built around having access to the stuff you need without carrying a bag. Tons of useful, functional pockets. I've known and loved this company for years, long before I ever had a podcast. My oldest Scotty Vest jacket is one they don't even make anymore, and it's still in perfect condition after wearing it for years. The best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website. Give them a look at scottyvest.com, and just by listening to this show, you get 15% off your order. Enter the promo code TELLME, all one word, T-E-L-L-M-E. It's scottyvest.com, promo code TELLME. Sometimes people ask me what I'm listening to, and one of the podcasts I'm currently digging is called Behind the Bits. I'm a comedy nerd, and I know a lot of my listeners are too. Scott Curtis has this podcast called Behind the Bits, where he interviews comedians and people who have serious thoughts about the art of comedy. And he just comes at it from all angles. Stand-up, writing, booking, all of the ins and outs of the comedy game. And it's super listenable. Each episode comes in at, like, just about an hour. He asks the questions that get people talking about the craft, which I really appreciate. Behind the Bits won the Discover Pods Award for Best Interview Style Podcast in 2020. It's been heard in 28 different countries. Scott talks to the legends who paved the way, new sensations, and everyone in between. Whether you're a new comedian, a working comic, or a comedy nerd like me, you'll learn something valuable from Behind the Bits. Check it out wherever you're listening to podcasts. Every college has that one professor who everyone wants to take a class with before they graduate. I know at Ohio State where I went, there were classes with huge wait lists because the professors were so popular. One day university brings all those professors together to present incredible live streamed talks online for thousands of members every day. They've got more than 200 of these top professors from all over the country, from Yale, Harvard, Columbia, UCLA. It's pretty incredible. Every weekday, One Day University offers a new one-hour live stream talk, followed by a Q&A with the professor, and that's something you don't get in college without having to schedule office hours and it's a whole thing. This is much easier. You can learn something new every time, kind of like you do by listening to this podcast. I just watched a professor from Amherst College give an awesome presentation on the science of happiness that's gonna stick with me. There was also one I watched about what made Frank Sinatra so great from a professor from Johns Hopkins University. But here's the thing, you don't have to get into Johns Hopkins or Harvard or Yale. One Day University membership is just $8.95 a month, or $89 a year, and it includes unlimited access to the daily live streams, plus more than 500 past recorded talks. You can try two weeks for free, and because you listen to this podcast, if you use the promo code INTERNET and sign up for an annual plan, you get your first year half off. Can't beat that. Check out One Day University by going to onedayu.com slash internet or use the link in the show notes. The camera zooms in on me. So we get some high proof alcohol. We get gasoline. Anything that says... What makes
0: our lives worth living is our mortality. If there were not mortality, we wouldn't be... Luckily
1: for me, most of the beauty pageants that I've um, participated in don't... I've done my fair share of blood, man. I've always liked showing myself off naked. Got up out of the seat, walked to me, and then slapped me. Spontaneous conversation with people from around the world on Stranger Than Christian, available on your favorite podcast app
0: and at strangerthanchristian.com.
1: Let's get back to our story. In 1983, the video game industry crashed. It was a two year long recession of the industry that took annual industry revenues from $3.2 billion in 1983 to around $100 million in 1985, a 97% drop several of the main competitors of the market completely disappeared due to the crash and it was due to several things the rise of home computers loss of control of publishing rights and a flooded market just to name a few but there was another thing getting part of the blame consumers were losing confidence in gameplay and game developers one of the reasons being pointed to was a crappy 1982 video game et the Extra Terrestrial. It was really the first time video games had been returned to the store in any large numbers. That's right, in addition to being a financial failure for Atari, this single game was being blamed with taking a whole industry into recession. By September of 1983, the local newspaper in Alamogordo, New Mexico reported that somewhere between 10 and 20 truckloads of unsold game cartridges were dumped into a landfill. They were taken from a storage warehouse in El Paso. It was later covered in the New York Times, and while none of these stories named the games being dumped, it was long assumed that this was the fate of the 3.5 million unsold E.T. the extraterrestrial cartridges for Atari 2600. And to make the story even more interesting, they covered the dumped cartridges with a layer of cement, though several sources I found dispute that fact. Throughout the years, the landfill story became a legend. People talked about the different reasons that Atari may have discarded the cartridges, everything from trying to destroy the record of the game having existed to making sure no one in the future could play the game. In 2014, the rumors would be put to rest. Fuel Industries, a Canadian entertainment company, was granted six months access to the landfill to shoot a documentary titled Atari Game Over. They excavated the landfill and found the game cartridges. And contrary to the report that there were millions of E.T. games buried in Alamogordo, they found a total of around 728,000 cartridges of numerous titles, including the now-legendary E.T. game cartridges. But they weren't trying to hide the game. They were just trying to get rid of a surplus of old and obsolete game cartridges they couldn't sell. Just over 1,000 of the cartridges were removed. Some have been sold for as much as $1,500, and as I stated earlier in the story, some were put into the archives of history. There's now one of these crushed, dirty landfill cartridges in the Smithsonian. In 2014, Howard Scott Warshaw, the game designer of E.T. the Extra-Terrestrial, spoke about the game's legacy to promote the Angry Video Game Nerd movie. I'll leave you with his words. When it's thought of as the worst game of all time, I prefer that moniker, because Yars' Revenge is frequently the best game of all time in a lot of lists and, and recognition, so I've got the greatest range of any game designer in history. Now it's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling Jonathan Pritchard. Jonathan is a speaker, an author, a consultant, and a mind reader. He wrote the books Think Like a Mind Reader and Learn Like a Mind Reader and Perfect Recall. I am super excited to talk to you. Well, thank you for having me, man. I'm I'm excited to be here. We were just chatting. How long has it been since you think we've hung out?
0: Uh, I would probably have to carry the one.
1: Yeah, it's Uh, been a while.
0: It was a lot longer than I thought it was because I I guess that's part of getting older where you're like, it was just a couple of months ago and it's coming up on five years or something. It's just like that. Wait, that is ridiculous.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I always enjoy spending time with you. We have we have thought provoking conversations. You're a uh, you're a guy who really puts a lot of thought into your work, Um, which is ironic considering your work is reading thoughts but you you really do think about exactly what you are putting out into the world and speaking of that tell us about your latest podcast project
0: well the the scheme i'm cooking up now is a podcast specifically for magicians mentalists mystery entertainers because i know the coolest magicians on the planet and i was like you know what Our conversations are always awesome, so let's share this with the world. So it's not even launched as of the time of this recording, but it will be out soon.
1: That's awesome. I can't wait to listen to that. Uh, I don't listen to a whole lot of magic-themed podcasts because it's sort of a leave work at work situation, but Mm -hmm. I know you and I feel like all of the people on your podcast are going to be like good friends, so I'm excited to sort of hear what everyone that I know has to say to you. So that,
0: that's the goal is to have that kind of late night. We're all hanging out, talking the real work kind of thing that
1: that's the goal. We we play this podcast or we do, we play the quiz on this podcast sort of cold. So I don't ever tell the guests what the, the quiz is about. So for this first question, there are stakes to every question. For this first question, we're playing for a joke. All right. So if you get it right, I have to tell a joke. If you get it wrong, you tell me one. And it is a, a PG podcast. so. A clean joke, if you have one. In 1982, Atari created an E.T. video game to piggyback off of the popularity of the movie, which came out earlier that year. Why has the game gone down in history? A. It's regarded as the worst video game in history. B. It's regarded as the best video game in history. Or C. It made people who played the game hallucinate. I'm going
0: to go with A, it is absolutely hot garbage.
1: You are correct. Hot garbage is exactly what that game became when many, many copies were put into a landfill and covered up. uh, And and the urban lore, the legend of this was that they took 3.5 million of the 4 million that they made and buried them just out of pure shame. Now, it turns out that's not exactly true, but they did... They did put many copies into a landfill uh, when they weren't sold and they were basically just going to be surplus.
0: I, I think I might have buried a test that I got in elementary and I flunked it. It's like you've got to really be embarrassed to to just physically bury your your failure it's like that. That's a whole. There's something new very level.
1: primal about putting <laughs> something into the earth. Just right. out of shame, so you were this afraid the that shame you're, goes. You were afraid that your folks were going to find out about this test, these test results, and you just said, "Ah, they'll never find them underground." So this is where all the the sadness goes yeah. in the ground. In the ground, <laughs> it works for our pets. Why doesn't it work for our test results? <laughs> Man, we have gotten this quiz off to a very sad place right in the very beginning. All right, I owe you a joke. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. What's red and smells like blue paint? red paint the jokes aren't good uh but the questions are uh the fact that i i had to think
0: about that and i didn't get there that fast yeah
1: i wouldn't have either i'm I'm gonna bury myself now um (laughs) (laughs) at least bury your your pride question two for this question we're playing for a confession of our worst piece we've ever brought to the stage So if there's a piece that you've put on stage that you're not particularly proud of, you'll have to tell me if you get it wrong. If you get the question right, I'll tell you one of mine. Nolan Bushnell, the inventor of the Atari and its popular Pong game, sold the company for $28 million and went on to start what other company? Was it A, Tandy Computers, B, Pizza Time Theater, which became Chuck E. Cheese, or C, the video game called Game Never Ending, which eventually became the photo-sharing site Flickr. Oh, I'm
0: completely guessing, hoping the numbers are on my side,
1: B. Pizza Time Theater. You are correct. Yes. Pizza Time was started by the guy who invented Atari and Pong, Nolan Bushnell. It was eventually bought by Showbiz Pizza, and that's when they started rebranding all the locations as Chuck E. Cheese. So wow. I have a pretty good story about having gotten banned for life from a Chuck E. Cheese once. <laughs> uh, I won't tell that it yet up. on this podcast. I'll save that for a, a rainy day when I need something to talk about. But you got it right, which means I have to tell you about something that I'm not proud of that I put on stage. I once did a mind reading bit and I'm not, I don't really do any mind reading in the show. Uh, I do mentalism, which are like, you know, what we call mind reading effects, but I don't do them as a mind reader because I am, I've, I've decided a long time ago that my character can't read minds. It wouldn't make sense. So I have devices in w- which I use. Well, this was before I figured any of that out. And I figured that for me to read minds, I had to strain a lot. And I was making this face. And I was like, well, if I'm straining, I might as well make it look like I'm sitting on the toilet. So I would bring a toilet seat and put it on a chair and sit on the toilet seat on a chair and strain really hard when I was reading people's minds, and I thought that this was hilarious. And I did—I probably did this for like I don't know a year or two years before I realized wow. how bad it was. Yeah, oh, I—I I hate. I would have loved to have seen that. I've got photos. <laughs> I'll send you a photo of this somewhere. I've got a photo of, oh, of that me is doing so delicious. Exactly that. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. For question three, for this question, we're playing for a coveted, the internet says it's true sticker. So these are three by three stickers with the show's logo on them, extremely valuable, and you can only get them by winning the third question or by joining Patreon. Which one of these was Atari's best selling game? Was it a Ghostbusters? B, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or C, Pac-Man? If it's not Pac-Man, I won't know what to do with myself. So I'm going to say Pac-Man. You are correct. It's Pac-Man. You know, the interesting thing about this one, Pac-Man sold more than 7 million copies. And Raiders of the Lost Ark was a a popular game for them, but still only sold a million copies. So seven times that, Pac-Man sold. And it's often included along with E.T. as one of the worst video games of all time because it was it was criticized for bearing little resemblance to the original arcade game. Apparently, the the gameplay is very clunky. The graphics are horrible and uh, no one could play the game, which was the problem with E.T. No one could play the game. So it was just like E.T. E.T. sold really well that first Christmas. But mm-hmm. on name alone, you know, no, not not on substance. So Pac-Man right. just sold because people had played Pac-Man in the arcade. And... Are you an arcade guy? Do you do you do the arcade games? I love Galaga. Galaga. That was, that's my game. And, Galaga was and, the one that's sort of like, um, was that the one that's kind of like Space Invaders? Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I remember. And then you
0: can your ship gets the tractor beam up and then whisked off to the top. Then you've got to shoot all the other invaders. And then the ship that has your ship, you're in a second ship now. Then it comes to attack you. If you can shoot the alien's craft, you get yours back as a double ship. And now you've got double firing. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Okay, now that's very familiar. Uh, We went to go, we went to like a barcade. And we realized that arcade games are really difficult to play. We were really bad at playing arcade games. And I I think it's because over time, video games have adapted to our human ergonomics. You know, to like the the way that we hold a controller, even using a keyboard and a trackpad or a mouse or whatever. But using two buttons and a joystick on a panel is so strange for me. Uh, Oddly enough, I did enjoy pinball. I really did enjoy playing the pinball. So that one came right back. Yeah. The
0: physicality of pinball is really cool too. You can feel it in the flipper when it it's a good contact. You're
1: like, yeah. That's that, that, true. that's awesome. Is that a mental thing or because there's no way you're actually feeling that flipper. You're pushing a button that's controlling electronics. That has to be a mental Maybe. thing, right? Like you see probably. it probably. That's a real um, Yeah, unless there's no tactile feedback. Unless it is
0: not the direct lever that's hitting the flipper. But it's the pinball hitting the flipper that is resonating through the entire yeah, machine you're, holding the side that of you're the taking machine. as haptic feedback of it coming to your button
1: when it's actually through the whole chassis. I think that we have hit on exactly what people love about pinball is that yeah. there's sort of an accidental feedback that happens. I mean, I'm acting like we hit on this pinball. People probably have known this for years, but <laughs> right. you and I figured it out also. That that was discovery independently. (laughs) Really interesting stuff. All right, let's move on. For this next question, this is question four. You're three for three, Jonathan. Question four: We're playing for an audio Easter egg in your next podcast. So if you get it wrong, you'll have to insert a phrase of my choosing in your in your next episode. If you get it right, I'll say that phrase in next week's episode of this show. The phrase is this. Here's your phrase: When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I love these stakes like yeah. this. This I love this. Yeah. Yes, this is. And if we were out performing actual shows more often, uh, we would do it that way. <laughs> we would. Yep. I would have you say this yeah. in in a show. But well, I actually do have a show tomorrow night, so I don't. It's. It feels a little bit more. The stakes feel higher of me doing it in front of live people. For some reason, doing it in front of a microphone doesn't feel as real. Even though there are way more people listening to this podcast <laughs> than there are seeing any one of my live shows. All right. So anyway, that's the phrase. When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Which is a phrase I love, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. True or false question. Here it is. True or false. While Reese's Pieces was featured prominently in the film E.T., the original script called for that to be M&M's, but Mars Inc. wasn't allowed to see a script and wouldn't sign on sight unseen. Is that true or is that false? That resonates as true. Whether it's
0: real or not, I have no clue. But that sounds familiar, so I'm going to say it's
1: true. I should know better than to play this game with a mind reader. You are correct. That is true. <laughs> You're four for four. Uh, after Mars turned it down, they approached the the film approached Hershey's to use. They were going to use Hershey Kisses, but Hershey's insisted on making it their new candy, which is Reese's Pieces, not Reese's Pieces, by the way. And as a result they reported a 65% increase in that candy's profits in less than two weeks after the premiere of the film. Man, product placement sure does work. Heck yeah, especially when you're the, they were the top box office that for opening weekend. And then the second weekend, it was like the top, the best second weekend ever in history. So lots of people knew what Reese's pieces were after that. Not to mention, I I remember E.T. was probably the first film I saw ever in the theaters. And I mean, I was real young, but I can remember seeing the Reese's Pieces commercials on television for years after using E.T. You Mm -hmm. know, that was a double that was a cross promotion. So. Man, you've you've killed this this quiz. I mean, you are knocking it out of the park. We've got one more question, Jonathan, and this one is for all the marbles. So if you get this wrong, I'm banning you from the show never to be asked on again. I accept these terms. Good. Good. What is it? in your life, or in the world, that gives you confidence? Ooh,
0: I would have to say a sense of competence. When I'm good at something and I know I can deliver, then that's where my confidence comes from. So the the skills come first, execution, then confidence.
1: That's a fantastic answer. We'll count it right, which means you went five for five. And every time someone goes five for five, you get this special soundbite. You did it. Congratulations. So there you go. (laughs) I like it. Thank you. Tell us more about what you have going on. I want to hear, you know, this isn't your first podcast, this one that's coming up. No, I, I am. I'm addicted to starting
0: podcasts <laughs> and not not great at keeping them going evidently i i used to have one called a life well designed and that was from my kind of design and art background and then nobody understood why design means anything to them i was like okay hmm. i'll i'll let that go and then years later i started mind reader university and then it's all about mindset and motivation, but then people were going, well, I'm not a mind reader. I don't need to listen to this. So that framing didn't work so well. So
1: you said I'm going to do a podcast for mind readers, right? Well, there, there was <laughs> another one now. in
0: between. Oh, there was, like, There is yet one. another one. Yeah. Because that one's still going. Okay. And it's for kind of the general public it's elite university. So I, I talked to the world's best at what they do to the, understand how they think about doing
1: stuff that nobody else in the world can do. And we can listen to elite university today. This is a Mm -hmm. thing you're, you're continuing to do. Awesome. Exactly. So that's up, that's every other couple of weeks.
0: Um, and then the one that is effect method presentation, that's going to be for magicians.
1: Now, how did you come up with that name for the non magicians listening? Tell us about effect method presentation. For the non-magicians
0: out there in every single magic book, that's kind of how the recipe is presented. When when the author is writing the book, they go, well, here's the effect. You're going to read the mind of your audience. Then the method. Here's how it happens. This is what you need to do to actually make it work. And then the last part is presentation. And here's what you say to make it entertaining. So those are kind of the one, two, three steps of learning a new effect.
1: And and this is specifically going to be interesting for, like you said, mystery performers, mind readers, magicians, mentalists. Uh, but the cool thing about podcasts is that anyone can listen to this. So if you want to pull back the curtain on our world a little bit, uh, check that out once it launches. Follow Jonathan Pritchard to find out when and where. How can people find you online?
0: Well, the best place to go is milliondollarmindreader.com. That's the easiest URL that I own that people can spell once I say it because <laughs> right. nobody nobody knows how to spell Jonathan Pritchard. There, there's so many misspellings I, I couldn't buy all the, the misspelled domains. So, MillionDollarMindReader.com is the hub. And then, I'm most active on Twitter. If you want to know what being stuck in my brain for 14 hours a day is like,
1: go to Twitter. Twitter it is. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been great to catch up. Really
0: appreciate you having me. It was, it was a lot of fun.
1: Well, that's all for this week. Thanks to Luke for the topic and to Jonathan Pritchard for being my guest. Here's a little kid I found in a landfill. Thank
0: you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule. You gotta do it. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. To get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new. If the internet says it's
1: true. The Internet Says It's True is owned by AMA Marfo. We would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help make this show possible. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor kick track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Sir Cubworth. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash michaelkent.